Last week we started a series called The Final Word, and the final word basically is the book of Revelation. We're going to talk about the seven churches of Asia, but more specifically we're going to talk about one church, and that's the church of Ephesus. I want you in your mind right now, I want to see how well you can imagine things. I want you to take three pictures in your mind. You got them? Picture frame. And in that picture, I want you to think one of a letter. You could put a quill, you could put a Mont Blanc, you could put a Bic pen, I don't care. Put a picture, do you have it in your head? Okay, good. That wasn't very hard. Think of a man on a boat. You can pick your boat. It could be a cruise ship, it could be a sailboat. But he's landing on a shore, jumping off the boat. Okay, do you have that in your head? The last one, I want you to think of a little tiny country church in the middle of an ominous city. Pick your city and look at it kind of towering over. Those are the three pictures. I want you to think of three children now. I want you to think of a good child. You have that in your head? Being patted on top of the head. Don't put yourself there because you were not good children. Good child. Then the second one, I want you to think of the bad child. What does that child look like? And the third child, I want you to think of a child that just heard they're going to Disney World and they're running around having a great time. Everybody have that? So I'm going to ask you some questions. The first child, the bad child, how many said it was a girl or a boy? Girl or boy? If you're a girl, put your hand up. So the good child less thought the good child is a girl. That is good to know. So the rest of you, if you thought it was a boy, put your hand up. Oh, boys are better than girls. That is the motto of the service. We get to go home. Second one, how many bad, the bad child, how many thought the girl? Put your hand up. Okay, this doesn't make any sense because they think good and girl. Who thinks the bad child was a boy? Okay, so that shoots everything we just thought of. <laughs> Lastly, who was playing? Was it a boy? Put your hand up. Or a girl? Girl, okay. Well, we know this. I, I really don't know anything about psychology. I just did that for fun. Um, <laughs> and it really doesn't mean anything other other than I want you to think about those pictures. Three pictures is the way we're going to see how to look at the book of Revelation. We've talked about it. How do we look at the book of Revelation? We want to look through three lenses. We want to look through the first lens, which is the letter written to Ephesus. That's Paul's letter, so we can get a good idea of what Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus in Revelation because he's given us this letter. The second thing I want you to think of is his missionary journeys. It's written with Acts. In Luke, we see, Luke writes the book of Acts. And what does he write about? He writes about the travels of the apostles and all that happened in the book of Acts. And we start with 18 and we go through 20. Basically covers the story of Paul when he's in Ephesus. The last thing we want to see is this small church. Small church in the middle of a huge city. Okay, so turn with me in your Bibles and we'll read this passage and we'll go through it together. And this is what it says in Revelation 2. 1 through 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. We all know what this means. Basically, Jesus is talking to John. And what is he saying to John? He's saying this, that I want you to give this message to a church, a specific church. And that church is Ephesus. The seven stars are what? They are the messengers 
okay? The messenger just means angel. But it says, I want you to picture those seven stars in the hand of Christ. And he's looking at it. And he says, this is a word for those messengers to those churches. The lampstands are the churches. But this is where I think we need to pay attention. Two and three will be where Jesus commends the church. Four and five is where he corrects the church. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. This is the change. That you have abandoned that love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear. The Spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise. This scripture is powerful. Because one thing, it scares me. Whenever you see the word repent over and over, you go, probably I want to change to a new passage. Repentance is not typically what we look for in a church. And like we said last week, we many times hear individual repentance, things we need to do. We hear it in our life in all different categories. But even in scripture, we, the preponderance of what we hear is individual. Rarely is it collective. So think of our church and say, where are we in this story? Because remember we said the number seven is completeness. He says it over and over and over. The importance of that for us is this represents, these seven churches represent all the churches. And who they were and the problems they struggle with. So this is just as important for you as it was for the church of Ephesus. Too many times we read the book of Revelation and we say, what's going to happen in the future? We don't look at the book of Revelation and say, what does it happen now? Ephesus was a city that's written about in the book of Acts. It was a city that has a letter written to it. It was a, it was a church that was in the midst of a city that was about 250,000 people. It, had, it was a seaport city as well as it was a postal city. It was a significant city. It was called, it had a temple in it which was called one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the temple of Artemis. And it was a, also the temple of Diana. They made their money off of selling idols. That's the church of Ephesus. So I want you to think of three ideas today. First, think of that little girl getting pat. Jesus commends them. What does he commend them for? He commends them for a couple of things. He says, I know your works. And you know the difference between right and wrong. How does that relate to Coral Ridge? Think of the city we live this city has all different views on how to live. We've had all different opinions. When I grew up here, I remember being in this church when there was the homosexual community boycotting our church. I remember them with picket signs outside. We were known for standing up against all these things. And I'm not saying that we did the right thing, but this church had a reputation of that, knowing right and wrong. So did the church of Ephesus. They had this, what is right and wrong? And they had this grid that they said they knew because there was all these types of things. And I'm not trying to say anything about the homosexual community. I'm just saying that we prided ourselves as a church 
on that, knowing these differences. And the reality is, not only did they know the differences, when false teachers came in, they recognized them. So they had two things that they recognized about themselves. They had this grid of right and wrong, plus they also interpreted and understood who were false teachers among them. Some that said they were apostles, and they weren't. It said, I love what... It's written in the Message Bible. If you've ever seen the Message Bible, it's fun to read to get some clarity. But one of the things it says, the Message Bible, it said, you can't stomach evil. When it talked about the church of Ephesus, that was they commended them. But I think there's also more that they commended it to. It was their faithfulness. If you look at the third verse, it says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. They were in the midst of all this and they had not grown weary. They had grown up in this. They've resisted evil. They had the testing of their faith. They had endurance and faithfulness. They had amazing characteristics of the church. And this is why I want to say this. Today, you would call yourself successful if that's all you had. And the problem is Jesus doesn't call that good. He says your righteousness your faithfulness, and all this. And what's the very next thing he says? I have this against you. What does he have against you? You've lost your first love. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to lose their first love? 1966, there's a guy by the name of Joe Auer. He played for the greatest football team in the history of the NFL, the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Why did we get a laugh out of that? That is so obvious. I see the Pittsburgh guy going, eh, okay. They're not the greatest. They're up there in Pittsburgh. But on the very first play, they played in the Orange Bowl. They kicked the ball off to Joe, Joe Auer. He grew up in Coral Gables, went to Georgia Tech. They came back to his hometown of Miami. He catches the football, and you know what happens? He runs down the field. It opens up. The Red Sea opens up. The Oakland Raiders fall to the right, for, to the left, and he goes down the middle, and he goes all the way, and he actually scores a touchdown. Probably the highlight of the Dolphins' history. On the very first play, they score a touchdown. Five years later, this, they go and end up in the Super Bowl. Six years later, they have the perfect season. Seventh year later, they win the Super Bowl again. What a history. What a start. And I was with a guy that was actually on staff years ago, and he'd heard all the talk about how great Coral Ridge was when it started. How we'd reached the world, we'd done all these things, we've incredible. And he says, you know what you guys remind me of? the 72 Dolphins. And I said, you know, that is terrible. I love both, and you should not work here because I don't like you anymore. That's the way I felt. Because I don't want to hear that we're living in the past. But we are. Are we not? There's places that we've lost our first love. There's a difference between reminiscing and be reminded and remembering Reminiscing is not moving forward. You know what the dolphins do, which is really pathetic? It's pathetic. They, all the guys that were on the team, every time, you know, all the other teams play, when they, the team that has the undefeated record finally loses, they all pop champagne corks to celebrate their 72 season. And that might be why we've never ever moved past it. Because we're still living there. In Acts 19, 
It says this, which I think is phenomenal. It talks about how they started the church in Ephesus. It says this, he entered the synagogue, referring to Paul, and for three months spoke out boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. I want you to think about that today. How many of us are going out boldly and speaking about the kingdom of God? When someone stubbornly refused to believe and spoke evil of the way before the congregation, he left them. Taking the disciples with him, he argued daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This continued two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Hear that last part. All of the people heard the word of the Lord in Asia. He took two years to get the gospel out. He just had done another missionary journey where he took 18 months in Corinth. He was so committed to getting the gospel out because he knew it was the hope for a city that was destitute for destruction. He knew. And guess what he did? He took disciples with him. And then he says in Ephesians, when Paul is writing from prison, he talks to him, he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. He says, in your love towards all the saints. So I want you to see two pictures. The love that Paul established the church with the people in the city in mind. He had the city in mind. Plus, he said it was your faith. Your faith and hope. What I heard from Rich just a little while ago, just that pardon, that hope that we have relationship in the faith and Lord of Jesus Christ is our hope. So what is our first love? Our first love is pretty obvious. is the gospel. My biggest concern for our church is to get everything in front of the gospel. From discipleship and all of these things that are wonderful. But lose the grip that the one way love that we need. That one true love that we need is going to affect the horizontal relationships in the rest of the world we live in. Amen. And if we don't get that, guys, that lampstand will be gone. I promise you, the only single thing we have to offer the world is something different. And it comes through the recognition of their own need for a savior. Jesus gives good news in the last verse. He says this, he who has an ear, which is you, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Um, I'm going to finish with this. With stop. I know this is very quick, but I want to do something at the end of the service. Um, you don't need to hear much more. We just need to receive it. He who has an ear, let him hear. There's a man named Don, Don Phillips. Don Phillips is a pastor in South Africa, or was a pastor in South Africa. I met him about 1998, I took a team of kids down to uh, a place called Umtata. Umtata was where Nelson Mandela was from. It was a black community, and the way that South Africa worked, that they would segregate all the groups. The idea that the segregation is what kept everything in harmony. So they would take different areas and they put some people in this township. But Umtata was a completely black African community. So we were one of the first whites that had ever, ever been in that community. We walked into that community and there was people that were touching my skin because they had not seen a white person. When we drive down the streets, you could feel the eyes all over you. So we wanted to talk to Don. Don was a black pastor. And we would say, why did you invite us? Why did you want us here? And he tells us this story 
that while we were there, he takes us to a place called Wimpy's. It's like Burger King, and we ate there every day. Um, it's decent, not great, but it was an environment where all the social happened. And we're sitting across, and Derek Elmanson, who's in the back with me, we're sitting watching him and talking to him about his history. And he goes on to tell us the persecution he received. Just imagine this. There's 6 million whites, 40 million blacks. The only way you can rule is with an iron fist. He talked about being dragged out of his car and beaten. Talked about being hit in the head. One time he said he was in the bank and a police officer hit him with the rod right across the head and he didn't know why. He grew so much anger and frustration for that white community. He said that he was going to strap a bomb to his chest and go into a rugby stadium and blow it up. So we're hearing this, and this Derek and I are there for like two days, and I'm blown away. He's telling this with tears. It's pretty intense. And then he said, somebody came up and gave me the gospel. He said he prayed to receive Christ, and his hatred began to turn into affection for his country. So he says, I got to learn how to share my faith. So he ends up going to see if he can go and learn how to share his faith. He goes to a place called Durban. Well, Durban's completely the opposite. It's completely white. And they actually said, no, we won't have you. And so he goes in there and he says, well, what can I do? So he calls E.E. E. and this guy by the name of Nico Van Wick, who was an Afrikaner, would be the last guy you would think would receive him, says, I'll drive down and pick you up. Now, this is about a 10-hour drive. Takes him to the clinic, the workshop. He hears it. He comes back to his church. And we were there about a year or two after this all happened. The church we go to has about 1,000 people. It already had grown from zero to 1,000. I didn't stay in contact with Don. And a guy from South Africa just two months ago came by and told me Don's doing well. So I thought, well, I'll look him up. So I look him up, and when I look him up, I see Don Phillips' obituary. I'm like, oh. To my relief, it was another Don Phillips. It was a guy from North Carolina. I said, well, maybe I'll do my search better. I still feel bad for the other guy. Don't kid yourself. But, but then I go and look it up, and Don Phillips and Tata, and when we click on it, you see his church. They're building a 9,000-seat sanctuary. 9,000 seats. 26 churches he's planted. That is awesome. And you know what I remember is him showing us the graph of the city. He was going to reach every home for Jesus. He was going to bring the gospel to every city. He had it mapped out. And it reminded me when I'm reading of this church of Asia that Paul stayed there two years till everyone heard. Do we need to repent? Yeah, of course we do. We're like any other churches. Most of the churches are... If you have a problem with repentance, you have a problem with your gospel. Because the first step in the gospel is knowing how bad you need Jesus. Church, we must repent. Our love, first love, has gone a little bit away. And our love for our people hearing the gospel has diminished. There is a world out there that needs to know about Jesus. And there's a world in here that needs to know about Jesus. It's not an out or in, it's a both.